great true indicator. So people use EBITDA as a proxy is for the quality of your business. And our view is with the lack of capital that came in, which became pretty apparent into 2019, you had to start being more critical of what the business actually did, what type of margins they ran, what were they selling. We did not want to be investing in businesses that were buying a bottle of water for a dollar and selling it for 50 cents. That's just not a good business. From MJ Bulls Media, it's the Raising Cannabis Capital Show. Raising Cannabis Capital, we are continuing this year's Cannabis Investor Series with another former guest, Sean Stiefel, the founder and CEO of Navy Capital. Sean, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you back. When I was preparing to talk to you today, I went back and listened to our previous show, and I noticed one thing that I really didn't give you a chance to explain Navy Capital. So let's correct that now. Navy Capital is the largest cannabis hedge fund and the only hedge fund in this year's Cannabis Investor Series. So can you explain the advantages of investing in a cannabis hedge fund? Sure. So hedge funds are defined usually by a few things, one being the performance allocation, which you know is, it is what it is, and then the others being the liquidity parameters and the ability to do sort of various structures beyond just traditional equity stakes. And so from our perspective, we manage around $200 million and we feel that the ability as a hedge fund to be nimble, to trade around positions, to do convertible arbitrage, to short stocks when the time is right, all of those things are tools that we have in our tool belt for various market conditions that we're very excited about. So make a long story short, in essence, what differentiates us as a hedge fund versus private equity is our ability to be nimble, our ability to employ different sort of tools of the trade, whether it's shorting, whether it's convertible arbitrage, whether it's trading around warrant positions. Ultimately, one day these stocks will be listed on the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQs and, and there will be uh, pretty liquid options. So we, we look forward to that day. Mm-hmm. But in essence, when we started the fund, we always felt that it was important to be nimble. We are public equity focused and the hedge fund structure makes the most sense for what our core thesis is. Okay. And when we spoke last year, another thing that you said was that you like cannabis sectors that have the most growth potential, but also the most inefficiencies. Explain what you mean by that. So still today, a year later, uh, you're still not seeing much institutional capital into the space. You're not seeing a lot of institutional investors. And so from our view, we believe that we have an edge in understanding the industry without a huge amount of competition, if you will, and and a lot of people vying for deals. So we we think that because there is so few people actually looking at cannabis and because there is so little capital still in the industry that we have a disproportionate advantage relative to our size, you know, a $200 million hedge fund in any other industry it's almost irrelevant. And so we like that. I mean, obviously at some point in time, we want to see more capital come in to drive valuations higher and prices up. But for now, I think our ability to write eight figure checks into companies and structure deals around that is very valuable and something we take advantage of. 
Okay. Yeah, I get that. But as far as the inefficiencies go, like what sectors would you define as inefficient? Yeah, I think over the years, our, our thesis has really narrowed to where we believe we have an edge is in the consumer plant touching aspect of cannabis. We believe we understand what the economics of the industry are, what the relevant metrics of the industry are. And because that is the tip of the sphere, because that is the federal illegality that prevents most institutional capital from coming in, we really feel that that is where the most use and the most excitement and ultimately the biggest land grab will take place. Okay, okay. You mentioned the non-traditional valuations and you understand valuations. I know last time when we spoke, you talked about you know, this kind of transition that the industry was making. And one of the metrics that you focused most on was the 2020 EBITDA. Do you think COVID has accelerated that transition? Yeah. I mean, I, I think COVID coupled with the essential shutdown of capital markets for cannabis, basically for the last year and a half before COVID led to investors really being critical of how businesses were run. We started the industry in 16 and 17, we were talking about funded capacity and simply how big of a warehouse do you have in essence? I mean, that, that was somewhat irrelevant, but that was the metric that the industry cared about back then. Now it's not just revenue, it's the quality of your revenue, which you know there's not a great true indicator. So people use EBITDA as a proxy for the quality of your business. And our view is with the lack of capital that came in, which became pretty apparent into 2019, you had to start being more critical of what the business actually did, what type of margins they ran, what were they selling. We did not want to be investing in businesses that were buying a bottle of water for a dollar and selling it for 50 cents. That's just not a good business. So we found that transition accelerated into COVID. And then now on the back end of COVID, I would argue to you that it's still very, very relevant. Both capital markets starting to reopen again. You're seeing investors willing to sort of look to top line a little more than they would have sort of as people were basically looking at it and saying, how many dollars do you have and how long is that going to last you? Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if the reason that private cannabis companies' valuations are lower this year than last is because the metrics that are being used to value their companies are different. It's not that the company is is doing less business or not as successful, but it's just that there's just different valuation metrics being used to value. Uh, I think it's more an issue of there's always going to be a liquidity discount for private assets versus public assets. It's just how the world works. But what has gone on is while some of these stocks have done very well on the public side, the actual multiple on a forward 12 month hasn't really changed. I mean, you're, you're actually looking at stocks in some cases at a lower multiple on the public side, but because they have grown their actual operating business so much, the stock can go higher at the same multiple. We're not asking for multiple expansion. We're just saying, hey, look at the actual numbers and put an equal consistent most multiple on that. Mm-hmm. With the privates, because you have you still have the public stocks in essence, trading, let's just say, 8 to 12 times 2021 EBITDA for the biggest and best players, you're going to have to have a discount to that for an equity deal to get done on the private side. 
I mean, the only exception, of course, is like a seed round pre-revenue where you're betting on a concept. But in general, what you've seen now is there has not been real multiple expansion on the public side. And that discount on the private side remains. I'm wondering if a lot of investors have bad taste in their mouth from the, yeah, the, the, public, the public market. But it seems like now is the right time to get back into the market. Yeah. So I think you had a huge inflow of capital into the cannabis sector at the end of 2018 and early 2019. And you know, frankly, that was a terrible vintage because valuations were totally out of whack. People were betting on concepts. There wasn't a lot of operating history. I mean, you have to remember, California did not go legally wreck until January 1st of 19. You didn't have a real market in Nevada. You didn't have a real market in Florida. You just didn't know who was real and who could scale. I think because, again, multiples are kind of where they were and in some cases lower, but you have more of a track record for management teams and more of an operating history for companies, you're very definitively able to say that this is a much better time from a risk-reward standpoint to put money into cannabis. Couple that with what we are seeing on actual earnings and actual operating results, uh, we feel a lot better about just the state of the industry and where it's going as opposed to a year or certainly two or three years ago where everything was basically a map of the U.S. or a map of the world and a license and, and a prayer. I yeah. think now you have a lot more to work off of. We always use the analogy, you know, this is a horse race, but you're now betting on it sort of halfway through the race. and You, you see who's out ahead. You see who's far behind. And it's not to say that someone from behind can't run to the front and win, but you know the odds are dramatically different for that versus betting on sort of the best and brightest. One thing that you mentioned in the previous show that I think is important to bring back up is you referred to cannabis as a super theme. Maybe just explain to everyone what a super theme is and why cannabis fits that definition. Yeah, I mean, I look at it and say, what is transformative to a large segment of the population? And in this case, what is going to be sort of a $100 billion plus total addressable market? And so cannabis is definitively transformative for many people in their daily lives. And I believe it's a $100 billion a year opportunity, if not substantially more on a global basis. Mm -hmm. And so I, I believe when you look at that type of growth, that type of just societal transformation, it's not like your your run-of-the-mill kind of trend going on. This is much more substantive and much more relevant to many more people than sort of fads and whatnot. So we're very excited, and I do believe that for many Americans, this dramatically improves and helps their lives. And so as time goes on, you're going to see cannabis is going to be a daily part of people's lives. It's going to be a household topic of conversation. And to me, there, there's not a lot of opportunity sets that come across where you can say definitively, hey, you know, this is going to impact substantially everybody's life on a daily basis. And it's a massive opportunity basically at the ground floor. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think from an investor standpoint, there are opportunities on the short term and on the long term with cannabis, which... I think it really is exciting. And maybe for the remaining time we have, you can explain some of the other advantages to working with Navy Capital. Yeah, I, th I think that our view is pretty transparent. We want to be very helpful. 
We want to be able to help our investments get deals done to improve their operations. I think we bring a lot of capital markets experience, a lot of legal experience, a lot of transactional experience. And because of the size of our portfolio and the relationships that we have, we're able to help guys either get into new states, as an example, or make critical hires, or even in some cases do M&A. And so we really look forward to continuing to grow. We still believe that the core of our portfolio is extremely attractive on a valuation basis, and we see a huge amount of upside as this industry continues to mature. Yeah, well, I have your links to Navy Capital in the show notes and at mjbulls.com. So if anybody wants to circle back and talk to Sean offline about investing, I'm sure Sean would love to talk to you. Sean, appreciate you being on the show as always. Good to talk to you. Thanks for catching up. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, host of Casually Baked, the podcast. If you're curious to explore the highly responsible side of cannabis, farming, and legalization, I'm here to help lighten the stigma and build your canna confidence. Download episodes now of Casually Baked, the podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. And journey with me through the evolving cannabis culture and discover how and why people like you are adding cannabis to their wellness toolkit. It's time to get casually baked.